Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehila Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehila Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am in the home studio today, and I have a very special guest with me, Pastor Nick uh, is taking the day off, and I'm here with my wife, Ashley Cabrera. Shalom, everyone. Yeah, so I'm excited to have her. She's going to be my guest reader uh, today, and uh, I'll, I might even let her talk about other things, but we'll see. <laughs> um, so uh, today we are studying the Torah portions. Uh, we have a double portion today, which is always awesome to have a double portion. Uh, it's Tazria, which means she conceives, and Metzora, which is person with skin disease. Now, uh, Tazria is going to be found in uh, Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1 through chapter 13 and verse 59. And uh, Metzorah is going to be found in Leviticus 14.1 and ending in 15.33. Now, um, as you guys know, uh, the book of Leviticus is Pastor Nick's favorite book. And in his honor, we're going to just mention that the book of Leviticus starts with consecration and it ends with consecration. That's right. It starts with consecration and it ends with with consecration. And the first half of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 17, is the way to God, and chapters 18 through 27 is the walk with God. Uh, So right now, we are actually still in uh, chapters 1 through 17, which means we are on the way to God. And then remember, once we get to chapter 18, we enter into the walk with God. So without further ado, we're going to jump into Tazria. She conceives first, and uh, Ashley is going to read Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, the purification of women after childbirth. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, Then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification be fulfilled. And if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and to the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, 
the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Awesome. Wow, a lot of stuff there. So um, so how long would a woman be unclean after having a man-child? Uh, so that's seven days. So a woman would be uh, unclean for seven days after having a man-child, and then on the eighth day, the child was to be circumcised. So that's interesting how um, they give seven days for basically the evacuation of all afterbirth and, and you know, whatever was left over from giving uh, birth to the child. And then on the eighth day, there was kind of a reprieve where she was able to go and uh, have the baby circumcised on the eighth day. But then um, the purifying process after giving birth to a male child was 33 days, making it a total of 40 days uh, for a male child. So then um, could she come into the sanctuary uh, during her purifying process? No. So she was in a state of uncleanness, which we're going to get into that a little bit later, the, the clean and unclean ideas. <clears throat> but no, she was not able to do anything within the sanctuary or the tabernacle or anything like that. Um, and then if she were to have given birth, uh, any woman among Israel were to give birth to a female child, uh, the days of her uncleanness were two weeks. So it was double. So for a male child, it was seven days. For a female child, it was two weeks. And then the purifying process was also double for a female child, which was 66 days. Now, uh, after her purifying process, she was required uh, to bring a burnt offering uh, and her sin offering to the priest. So this is uh, at the end of the purifying process, whether it be 40 days for a male child or um, 80 days for a female child in total, she was to bring then her burnt offering and her sin offering to the priest to make an atonement. And then um, these two offerings to make an atonement for her were uh, so that she could be cleansed from her issue of blood. Because uh, obviously, uh, other than the, the normal menstrual cycle, giving birth obviously involved a lot more blood, a lot more um, afterbirth, all those kinds of things. There was just a lot more involved here. Now, uh, the the interesting pieces here with the, the purification of blood is, you know, I always get the question, why is it, you know, only 40 days for a male child and 80 days for a female child? And, you know, I was listening to um, uh, actually Eddie Chumney the other day, which Eddie Chumney, he's a, a, a great teacher, um, has always put out some, some good stuff out there. Uh, he's always got, he's, he's like an encyclopedia a lot of times. Whenever you're listening to him, you can kind of hear, um, you know, just all the source text that he's, you know, referencing and things like that, whether it be, you know, uh, Jewish sages or, um, you know, you know, ancient texts from other cultures or whatever, or even just, you know, biblical scriptures that you were like, man, I didn't even realize it was there or, or whatever. Anyways, um, I was listening to him and he was talking about statutes and judgments and how, you know, the two words in Hebrew for statutes and judgments, that statutes is referring to the laws that are about us and God, right? About how to love God. And that the, the word judgments is the Hebrew word that actually um, uh, talks about our, our uh, laws regarding us and loving our neighbor or loving our fellow man. And that sometimes we read laws that have to do with us and God, and they don't make sense. It's just, hey, you love me. I've given you this command, so you keep this command. Um, and so uh, this particular set of commands, when it comes to um, you know giving a woman a break after childbirth, is it is it a 
fair to say that women want a break after childbirth? Oh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so it, it makes sense that a woman would want, um, you know, to rest and to have a break, which obviously um, there's the work of creation, um, you know, the combined uh, participation with God in the creation process of bringing a life into the world. Uh, that a woman actually participates in. And so there's uh, a period of rest after the fact. And so um, then comes the question of why the difference between the male child and the female child. And I think this, you know, the, it's easy to put it in the, the laws of, of relating to one another on giving, you know, a woman a break uh, whenever she's given childbirth. But when it comes to the difference between the male child and the female child, the question always arises, well, why the difference? Well, first of all, because God said, and I think that that comes into the, the statutes piece, those laws that maybe I can come up with some sophisticated reason for you as to why it would make sense or not make sense uh, to, to have you know double the time for a female child versus a male child. Um, but some things we just have to take on faith that this is what God wants. Uh, however, I have heard it said that uh, that when you bring a, a, a woman child or a female child into the world, that this you're bringing somebody something another creation into the world that is going to then someday bring about creation, and that it takes more um, you know more from the woman to produce a female child and to create a woman uh, that is going to then produce uh, you know more more humans in the future that uh, that's the reason why you give double the time is because you're actually imparting in that female child the ability to also create and so you know on the one hand you have the male child which you create and then the male child obviously has you know a part of the participation in that process but not nearly as much as as the woman does so all all very interesting very cool stuff and so um you know the question here then, I guess, is why would the purification process of women after childbirth be so important to the Lord? And um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that? Why Why would the uh, purification process of women after childbirth be so important to the Lord? Well, I think that um, for women that are being... Um, been given this opportunity to birth life is it's um, you're doing that with God so it's such a holy special time that I think um, to receive that process and to really understand what you're doing I think God is just giving you that extra time to really um, embrace the act of what's happening yeah awesome I agree I agree wholeheartedly so the question always brings up where is that in the New Testament? Well, thank you so much. I'm glad you asked. So uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, this is where uh, the account of Jesus being born, uh, according to uh, the Gospel of Luke. And in uh, verses 21 through 40, I'm going to read them to you, because it kind of takes us through when Mary and Joseph uh, take Yeshua to the temple and they're actually keeping these very laws in the process. And so here it goes. It says, uh, starting in verse 21 of chapter 2 in Luke. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be uh, shall be called holy to the Lord. Now it's interesting. Here in verse twenty three, it says, "Written in the law of the Lord, not 
not just the law of Moses, because it's also referred to the law of Moses, because Moses obviously transcribed it. But here it's called the law of the Lord. Now, continuing on in verse 24, it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And so this gets into some cool stuff we're going to keep reading here in just a second. But I just want to make the note that just like it says in what we just read, what Ashley was reading, you know, the pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, because you could either bring, um, you know, full burn offering and sin offering, or you could bring the pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, depending on, um, you know, your wealth status uh, within the community and all that. Um, to whom much is given, much is required. So uh, continuing on in verse 26, it says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So before he could see the Messiah. And it came by the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for uh, the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was of a great age, and she lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Wow. It's just awesome. I, you know, I, I love that they would not have done any of this. If it was, see, being in God's will is being in the right place at the right time. And when you do Bible things in Bible ways, God's things in God's ways, you end up being in the right place at the right time by default. And so they bring the child to the temple all the way from Nazareth. Now, listen, it was not that they just jumped on the, you know, the, the, the e-bus route and hopped down or they hopped in their car or they jumped on a, a plane and flew over. No, they walked <laughs> all the way from Nazareth all the way down there. Well, I guess at this point it would have been from Bethlehem, but that's beside the point. It's still a walk. They walked their way there and, and went there uh, to specifically do the things that God had prescribed uh, through Moses to do and that we just read and they felt it was important and Yeshua did it. So I just feel like it's one of those things where we can uh, we can really dismiss the th things of God and and miss out if if we do that. And and as you see, uh, Simeon and Anna both were able to to see you know, the Messiah 
and that they were able to to fulfill their lifelong you know dream of of you know not passing away until they were able to lay eyes on the Messiah. So all pretty cool stuff. So um, we're gonna keep moving on. Uh, we're moving on now to laws about leprosy, and Ashley is going to read uh, Leviticus chapter thirteen verses one through eleven. And the Lord spoke unto Moses. And Aaron saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh, like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy, and the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. If the bright spot be white in the skin of his flesh, and in sight be not deeper than the skin, and the hair thereof be not turned white, then the priest shall shut up him that hath the plague seven days. And the priest shall look on him the seventh day, and behold, if the plague in his sight be at a stay, and the plague spread not in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up seven days more. And the priest shall look on him again the seventh day, and behold, if the plague be somewhat dark, and the plague spread not in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is but a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spread much abroad in the skin, and after that he hath been seen of the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen of the priest again. And if the priest see that, behold, the scab spreadeth in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. When the plague of leprosy is in a man, then he shall be brought into the priest. And if the priest shall see him, and behold, if the rising be white in the skin, and it have turned the white, the hair white, and there be quick raw flesh in the rising, it is an old leprosy in the skin of his flesh. And the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. Man, some some uh, some details there for those of you that are aspiring dermatologists right here in the Bible. Um, you know, that was one of the cool things is that people would go to the priest when they had some sort of an issue. And so the priest acted um, not just as spiritual leaders, but also as doctors to help heal them um, in, you know, in participation with God. So I always thought that was cool. So um, if... If you had a spot on your body and the hair inside it was white and it was deeper than uh, the skin of the flesh, then this was considered to be a leprosy. And so um, Aaron and the priest were the ones that were responsible for diagnosing the leprosy. So it wasn't, um, you know, you would need to go to some official that was trained in, in noticing what this was. And in this case, this was, um, you know, uh, this was uh, for Aaron and the priests to uh, to do, and so um, if you're if you were diagnosed with a leprosy, you were considered to be unclean. And uh, part of this is obviously because the leprosies were very contagious. Um, that if you were to come in contact with someone else, and someone else would be infected, so on and so forth. So this was uh, it's you know kind of 
interesting when in the times that we're living in now with the coronavirus out there um, that they would put these folks outside the camp and they would be quarantined. And so they would be quarantined, an individual would be quarantined for seven days before they would be re-examined by the priest again. And so what would happen is if they came and they're like, okay, let's we're going to see what the, the current status of this is, but we're going to quarantine you and then we're going to look at you again in seven days excuse me, to see what is the progression of, of this leprosy on you. And so if the plague had not spread uh, after being examined on the seventh day, the priest would shut the person up another seven days. So they would quarantine them again uh, just to make sure. So they said, okay, it didn't spread, but let's go ahead and do this for another seven days just in case we're going to take a look. And, um, and, and so this, this whole process that they go through is, again, all for the safety of the camp to make sure that this doesn't spread throughout the camp. So uh, what would the priest do uh, in the second week on the seventh day? Well, if the plague had, uh, was, was somewhat dark and the plague uh, did not spread in the skin, the priest would pronounce him clean. He would say that it was a scab and that he would wash his clothes and be clean. So this is a, uh, again, this is just the details of how they were to, to pronounce somebody clean or unclean when it came to leprosy. Uh, and if the plague had not spread after being reexamined on the 14th day, uh, they were to be pronounced clean. So that's awesome. I'm sure that everybody always likes to hear that. Be thou clean, right? As we've heard. And so here's our, our discussion question. What are some other ways that we can contaminate skin, clothing, and houses other than leprosy? And so the other ways that we can contaminate skin, clothing, and houses other than leprosy um, is, is by defiling ourselves with, you know, say, um, a dead body, right? That was another way that we can contaminate ourselves and be considered unclean um, by touching a dead body. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean it's sinful, depending on how we're touching a dead body. Um, same thing with the carcass of an animal or, um, or unclean animal, I should say, or anything else um, like that. Now, it also begs the question about, um, you know, what is it that we're watching on television? What is it that we're listening to on the radio or whatever music we're listening to? Um, you know, what type of content are we taking in? You know, what are we searching for on YouTube? What are we looking at on the internet? Um, all of these things may not necessarily contaminate your skin, your clothing, or your house, but they defile you as a person. And so I think it's important to consider the spiritual ramifications of the things we do, not just the physical ramifications of the things we do. Um, there were some very pragmatic reasons why uh, you would be considered unclean, that you would need to bathe yourself and you know, kind of just keep an eye on things uh, if you were to encounter somebody with leprosy or you were to encounter a dead body or you know, so on and so forth. There's any number of reasons that we can all come up with as to why those are good, prudent things. Um, you know, right now with... Um, uh, with, you know, all of the, the things going on with the coronavirus that, you know, what are they saying? They're saying, wash your hands, right? Um, you know, don't touch your face, don't bite your nails, you know, all these, these provisions that they're giving, you know, stay a certain distance apart. Uh, all of these things are good, prudent things to do when there's some sort of an illness that's out there, um, that you're trying to protect the people from. So, um, all right, so we're going to keep moving on. We're going to be talking about, uh, unclean, uh, discharges from the body. It's got to be the most fascinating subject. Um, I swear this these 12 portions are proof that, um, God really does care about everything, uh, in the human experience and that, uh, he doesn't just leave us, 
uh, to our own devices and so so um, I'm gonna have Ashley read uh, Leviticus chapter 15 verses 1 through 10 uh, unclean discharges from the body and the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron saying Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When any man hath a runny issue out of his flesh, because his issue he is unclean, and this shall be his uncleanliness in his issue, whether his flesh run with his issue, or his flesh be stopped from his issue, it is his uncleanliness. Every bed whereon he lieth that he hath the issue, is unclean, and everything whereon he sitteth shall be unclean. And whosoever toucheth his bed shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the eve. And he that sitteth on anything whereon he sat that hath the issue shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in the water, and be unclean until the eve. And he that toucheth the flesh of him that hath the issue shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the eve. And if he that hath the issue spit upon him that is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the eve. And what saddle soever he riddeth upon that hath the issue shall be unclean. And whosoever toucheth anything that was under him shall be unclean until the eve, and he that beareth any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the eve. All right, wow. So um, this is just going through some specific uh, things about clean and unclean laws uh, when it comes to discharges from the body. This could be like pus coming out of a wound. And so if a man had a running sore on his flesh, uh, he would be considered unclean. And everything that the unclean man touched would also be considered unclean. And in verse 8 it says, And if he that hath the issue spit upon him that is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Um, you know, it's it's obvious why this is. I think um, we're getting into some things that are, you know, basic hygiene. You know, they talk about, um, you know, things that have come with uh, modern technology. I was watching a documentary about some third world countries and the diseases they deal with, like dysentery, things that are just so preventable to us in the Western world because we have running water, we bathe regularly, we take showers, all of these things. And for people that don't have that, that they're you know draining their sewage into the same water that they're eating and drinking into, um, these things affect their health dramatically and, and cause awful diseases and things like that. And so right here in Leviticus, God is putting out some basic hygiene steps for people to make sure that they're cautious and don't, you know, end up uh, passing, you know, disease or sickness or illness around. Um, it talks about, uh, you know, in verse 12, it says an earthen vessel touched by a male with a running sore would be broken. However, a vessel of wood touched by an unclean male with a running sore would be rinsed in water. So anything made out of metal or wood of something that's not as porous as say an earthen vessel, meaning like a clay pot, um, that could be washed because you would be able to get whatever it is out of it. Um, you know, we understand these things scientifically today, but they understood these things because God told them, Hey, if you're using an earthen vessel, 
then that needs to be broken because you're not going to be able to ever clean it to get out what was been put in it. Um, and so uh, in verse 13, how many days were required for the cleansing uh, of a male with a running sore? Imagine that, seven days. So it's the same uh, kind of process, it sounds like, it goes in seven-day cycles. And it says here, on the eighth day, uh, the man uh, would have to bring the priest two turtle doves or two young pigeons for his cleansing. And the priest made an atonement for the man with the running sword by offering one bird for a sin offering and the other bird for a burnt offering. Uh, it also says, if a male spiel, uh, spills his seed, he was unclean until evening. And so again, this is just um, one of those touchy subjects that people bring up, that if a man spills his seed, he's unclean until evening. And he was required to wash with water um, as part of his cleansing process. Now, how long was a woman to be set apart for her issue of blood? Um, seven days. So it's the same process, seven days uh, for an issue of blood for a woman. And it, uh, it, it's also interesting that we talked about the men first. And we went through all this stuff about the men and everybody, man, when I get into just, you know, like um, your your general Christian circles, they find out in Hebrew roots or the emphasis that we put on Torah. I mean, one of the first things they talk about is, what, you put your wife outside the house uh, whenever she's on her period? Uh, Well, let me ask, do I put you outside the house? No, he does not. No, I don't put her outside the house. But it does say if a woman with an issue of blood sat on something, it would be unclean. And if someone sat on something that an unclean woman sat on, that they would be considered unclean. And if someone was determined to be unclean because of making contact with an unclean woman, they would need to wash their clothes and bathe in water. Uh, the woman was required to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons on the, uh, on the eighth day. And this offering was to make an atonement for her. Now, um, all of this centers around the idea of clean and unclean or pure and impure right and so we're we're the words in hebrew are tame and tahara or to tuma and tahor depending on what part of speech we're in um and it's very interesting because you know people make this idea that you know in english when you say clean and unclean you're really thinking clean and dirty and when we put those into our, you know, American Western uh, kind of uh, just uh, connotations, we're considering those things t- to mean exactly that, clean and dirty. Whereas what it really means is holy and set apart or prepared and, or not necessarily unholy in the way that we think of it, right? But, um, you know, common and not set apart or not prepared, and I think it's an important distinction because this is about making um, making that distinction between, hey, these are the things that somebody would be ritually prepared and ready to come serve in the temple or bring an offering or whatever that case is. Uh, this is this is the guidelines, and God is making that distinction, and somehow we've turned it into sinful and not sinful, and it's not the case. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. So we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. And I'm going to read you a quick story. Uh, and this is about uh, the woman that grabs onto Yeshua's zitzit, or the corner of his garment. And uh, we're going to keep going from there. And it says, And behold a woman, and this is in verse 20 of chapter 9 in Matthew. It says, And behold a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. 
But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Now here's something very interesting. If you read through this, there's two instances where Yeshua himself, just in these six verses, was made to be unclean. Now, this is two separate little instances, right? In the one case, a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, which God saved that woman. I mean, that think about it. In a, in a society where everyone understands these, these laws of clean and unclean, and they knew that this woman had an issue of blood, that she was bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. I mean, that's just awful. And then to think about the cultural stigma that that would have come with from people improperly judging her, right? Um, that... That she, when she came, she had to have come into a big crowd, right? Because this is this is in a crowd of people where Yeshua is, and she came and she touched a rabbi, a guy, right, who is, uh, you know, obviously clean. And if you think about the way that the Pharisees, um, you know, seem to through the scriptures have behaved themselves, that they would have all been like she just attacked him, right? But Yeshua had the opposite reaction. He said, "Your faith has made you whole." And so I think that, that this, um, you know, it says your faith has made thee whole and the woman was made whole at that hour. So right then she was healed. So she went from, from unclean to clean because of her faith. But Yeshua himself was touched by her and this would make him unclean. Does that mean that Yeshua sinned in this case? I'll leave that question up to you for here for just a second. So in the second case, there's a girl who has passed away. She's dead. And Jesus comes in and says, oh, she's just sleeping. And they're all like, ah, ha, ha, because people obviously know what a dead person looks like or, you know, know how to tell when a person's dead or not. And so he goes in and grabs her by the hand and then she gets up. And so he, he brings her back to life. But in that moment, he grabs the hand of a dead person, touches a dead body, again, making him unclean. And so again, was, was Yeshua uh, sinful in doing this? The answer is obviously no. Yeshua knew no sin, right? So he who knew no sin became sin for us, right? That we may become the righteousness of God through him. So knowing that Yeshua had no sin, it's proof that being clean and unclean is not necessarily sinful and unsinful. I think that what God is trying to do here is he's making a separation between those things that are prepared and ready to go and serve him in the temple and those things that are not. The difference between the holy and the secular, or the holy and the common, the you know the the set apart and the the common or the not set apart, and so Leviticus fifteen thirty one says this: it says, "Thus shall ye separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, that they die not in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them." And so again, that's Leviticus fifteen thirty one, and again, it just again making the the, the distinction, the separation. And, and being aware uh, to get away from the uncleanness that, um, that, that would plague the Israelites. And it's important that we today recognize that if you'll watch anything or you'll, um, you know, you'll uh, 
hear and listen to anything, you'll eat anything, right? Then you're going to follow anything and you're going to fall for, you know, for everything really. And so, um, one, one last little note here, um, in Galatians chapter 15, um, and I'm going to turn there very quickly in my Bible and Galatians chapter 15, I'm sorry, chapter five, I apologize, uh, verses 19 through 21. Uh, this is the 17 works of the flesh. Uh, the apostle Paul is talking about the 17 works of the flesh and it goes like this, uh, in the 17 works of the flesh. Let's see here. Verse 19 It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And here are the first three adultery, fornication, and uncleanness. Now, um, that uncleanness is Strong's number, uh, in the Greek one, uh, one sixty-seven. And what's interesting about this word and I'm going to turn to my little Strong's notes here that I have in my Keyword Study Bible. Uh, 167. Here it is. And so it's akatharsia, uh, which we've talked about this before. It's from 169. It means impurity, physical or moral, uncleanness. Unclean, uncleanness, impurity, filth. Uh, so... Here, here's the point, right? I didn't go through all the, the 17 works of the flesh for a reason because I'm not going to um, go through that at this time. But I want you to consider that Paul puts uncleanness right there in the top three works of the flesh. That uh, people that are not paying attention to these things are not really paying attention to the spiritual matters that are the principles behind them. And I think that's the important piece to recognize is that all of these have a spiritual significance. So praise God. Um, all right. We are jumping over to the next tour portion. We're uh, running a little low on time. Um, it's uh, Metsora, a person with skin disease. We're going to start off by reading um, uh, Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 through 10, uh, the purification of the leper. All right, here we go. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought into the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest com command to take for him that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean and cedar wood, and scarlet and hyssop and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water as for the living bird he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water and he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off his hair and wash himself in water and he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair shall be shaved off. And he shall wash his clothes also, he shall wash his flesh, 
in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two he lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and three tenth deals of fine flour for a meat offering, and mingled with oil and one log of oil. All right, so I just noticed that uh, what I did <laughs> is I switched my page one and my page two for each Torah portion. So we actually went through chapter 15 over the last you know couple minutes, and we just ran into chapter 14. Now she's looking at me like, uh, yeah, that's what I was trying to point to you. And she was. She was trying to point it out to me, but I, I didn't notice. So um, we're kind of actually switching back and forth between the Torah portions this week. The good news is we're doing both Torah portions today, so it works out. Great. Um, so uh, we're talking about the purification of the leper, and it says uh, here the priest would have to go outside the camp to see if the leper was healed. So this is interesting. The, the leper didn't come back into the camp uh, to see the priest, but the priest would actually go to them. And the following was needed for the healed leper to bring to the priest so that they would be cleansed. Two birds alive and clean, cedarwood, scarlet, uh, and hyssop. Um, one of the interesting things is usually Pastor Nick and I have a diffuser with uh, cedarwood and hyssop in it when we're doing the podcast. Um, and I didn't, yeah, we have a diffuser here. Look at that. And uh, and anyways, we normally have that going. And that's just kind of, you know, cleanses the room, you know, um, gives us, you know, like the fragrance of cedarwood and hyssop, which is kind of cool. Um, it says in verse seven that one of the birds was to be killed and the other was to be let loose into the open field. Now, how many times is the priest to sprinkle the healed leper? seven times. And what three things did the healed leper have to do in order to come back in the camp? He had to wash his clothes, shave all of his hair off, and wash himself in water. And I'm pretty sure this includes even like eyebrows, everything. Um, And on the eighth day, the leper uh, that was healed had to perform the additional sacrifices, and the sin and the trespass offering belonged to the priest. Now, um, they would also anoint the uh, right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe um, uh, of the leper that was healed with oil. And so, uh, or I'm sorry, with the blood, which was also interesting. And so I want to jump over to Luke 17. Man, now I realize why all my notes were, were inside out and backwards. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I do this without Pastor Nick. Pastor Nick's usually pointing stuff out to me. He keeps me on track. And this is what happens when I do it on my own. Um, All right, so Luke 17, uh, verses um, 11 through 19. This is actually uh, where Yeshua heals some lepers. And so I'm going to read it to you guys. And it says here, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? And where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And I think this is just an interesting depiction. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we could take out of this. The Samaritan, uh, most likely a descendant of the northern tribes of Israel, 
um, you know, being saved in this case, uh, but very grateful for his salvation, right? It says, uh, to whom much has been forgiven, uh, those who've been forgiven much love much. Uh, but also, you know, this is kind of a depiction of, I think, what happens in in just the general, uh, you know, Christendom and the church and, and people in general, that when they're saved, when they receive this this great thing, they, they kind of go on about their way. They receive the, the healing and then they just move on. But this guy was so compelled by this healing because of his humility, right? He, he was thinking of himself as a lowly Samaritan. And because of this, he turned back, ran and fell at, at Yeshua's feet and, and thanked him for the healing. And so I think that's awesome. And Yeshua made an example out of him saying, this is, this is basically you know, what you should be doing. Um, but it takes a stranger to do it. Um, it says, the, sp- uh, the priest sprinkled the oil of his finger um, so the oil with his finger, sorry, before the Lord seven times. Oil was also applied to the leper's ear, thumb, and great toe. And there was provision for a poor leper so that they could make sacrifices with two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so there's one other instance uh, where Yeshua heals a leper in Matthew chapter 8. And I think this is also pretty interesting. It says, uh, when he comes down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came uh, a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. There goes Jesus touching again, right? Saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. (coughs) Excuse me. So, Wow. So a lot of things in here. Um, Yeshua touching a leper. Obviously, uh, touching a leper would make someone unclean. Does that make it a sin? No. It's proof that it's not a sin to be unclean. What is a sin is when you purposefully make yourself unclean and then go and do something that you have to be clean in order to do. Um, The other piece here is that he tells him to go back uh, to the priest and to uh, to give the gifts that, you know, to do the customs that were required in the law uh, to do, which I found uh, pretty interesting uh, as well. Just right along the line that Yeshua taught the Torah, that he kept the Torah, and that he taught those that he taught to keep the Torah as well. And so um, we're going to skip the reading of uh, chapter 14, verses 33 through 45 for cleansing infected houses, just for the sake of time. Um, but I want you guys to, I want to run through the bullet points because um, a house could have leprosy. And in order for the priest to inspect it, the house would have to be emptied. Um, If there was evidence on the walls of the house of a plague, then seven days were required for the house to be shut up and then later inspected. If the plague spread throughout the house, uh, they would take the stones and cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And after the removal of the stones, the house would be scraped. Um, you know, what would happen if the house uh, had a plague that, of leprosy that continued to grow? Well, it would be leveled. They'd have to destroy the house. And if the purification process of the same uh, was the same, the, I'm sorry, the purification process was the same for houses as it was uh, for the healed uh, leper. And uh, what three things can have uh, a leprosy? It's going to be skin, clothing, and houses. Now, I want to note real quick that one of the things that it was said about the leprosy in these homes in Israel um, was that the Canaanites used to um, build their houses and they would put idols in the walls. 
And what they would notice is that the leprosies would sometimes leach through the wall and cause um, uh, problems for them. Excuse me. Whenever they would, um, they would, you know, the leprosy would come through, and they would have to dig out these these idols. They would find these idols because of the leprosy in the walls. And uh, it's just interesting because you know it said that they would go and they would live in houses that they did not build, so on and so forth. And all of that makes sense uh, now, you know, looking back. Um, all right. So I know we're kind of moving backwards through this, um, but I want to cover kind of all the topics real quick uh, and just go through um, some laws about leprosy. And I want to just make sure that I'm not going through the same thing twice because I think that we did not go through. Yeah, so here it talks about could leprosy break out on the head or beard? And the answer was yes. Uh, in chapter 13, verse 30 says, Then the priest shall see the plague, and behold, if it be in the sight deeper than the skin, and there be in it a yellow thin hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a dry skull, even a leprosy upon the head or beard. And once a person was declared clean, uh, they would wash their clothes and be clean. And uh, it was a good sign to see a black hair growing through an affliction. So if the hair was white or yellowed, that was not a good sign. However, if it was a black hair coming through, then that was a good sign or the normal you know, color of the hair. Um, also, does the Bible talk about baldness? It does. And if you guys listen to past episodes of us doing this tour portion, uh, Pastor Nick and I usually have a pretty good time talking about the, the status of his hairline. Um, but uh, the Bible does talk about baldness. It does say that it is okay to lose your hair, um, that it was not considered a leprosy, but that it was a leprosy uh, if, if you had a white reddish sore uh, on your bald head or your forehead. And uh, the lepers were commanded to cry out that they were unclean. So uh, this is one of those things that you see in uh, kind of some of the old depiction movies where like the lepers will be walking through the town and they'll just be crying out, unclean, unclean. Um, and, you know, we don't so much do stuff like that anymore. Um, but, you know, it's, it's part of the reason they had leper colonies where these people could have community and be together uh, because they couldn't be with anybody else. But people that also had uh, leprosy because, I mean, they didn't want to give the leprosy to the people that didn't have it. And so uh, where did the leper live? They uh, dwelt alone outside the camp. And um, uh, what were the three things that could happen to a garment um, that was contaminated? You could burn it wash it or rend it. And by rend it, you would tear the part out of it. Um, that would make that work. So um, here's our discussion question. In times past, the children of Israel would go to the priesthood to learn about the Torah and to help them with different circumstances. Why would people today choose other means, examples, drugs, alcohol, the government, etc., to solve their problems instead of going to the modern day clergy or the church? And so um, I think that there's a lot of reasons for this, but, um, you know, for me personally, like if I were to go to a counselor, uh, I would look for a Christian counselor, somebody that is faith-based. Um, if I were looking for any organization to help me, I usually look for organizations that are faith-based. Um, and if uh, for a good example is that when, um, you know, we've recently adopted our uh our, our foster child, and she's now uh, part of our family forever, which is fantastic. And we don't have any foster children at the moment, but when we were fostering actively, um, we chose uh, the foster agency here in our county that was faith-based. And that was kind of the, the there's only one organization at the time that was faith-based, and we chose that one in particular because of the fact that it was faith-based. Um, 
Yeah, I think the question is asking why do we tend to find other means to help um, find answers? Um, I think a lot of it too is people are ashamed. They're afraid sometimes to go to the church because sometimes they may feel judged at the church. Um, They think the church, just because we're believers or our pastors or leaders, that they are without sin, and that's incorrect, right, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually you hit the nail on the head. Um, You know, there is a big piece of this, which is poor performance on behalf of the church. The church has kind of soiled the reputation to an extent of being very judgmental um, and not being helpful and not being discreet um, and kind of ostracizing people as if they're lepers, um, you know, and that's not what people want. Um, I think that also it has to do with people not taking personal responsibility for going about things the right way. That, um, you know, it's funny, I have a, a, a good friend of mine who leads uh, the um, Christian businessmen's, um, you know, organization here in our area. And he was telling me about a missions trip that he took to Cuba. And then he was going, you know, door to door, knocking on doors, and they were um, giving the plan of salvation. And he had an interpreter with him um, going door to door through Cuba. And, you know, he would ask people at the end, you know, what, why, why don't you accept, you know, the Lord? You know, what is it that's preventing you from, you know, coming into relationship with, with Jesus Christ? And the answer was, was uh, kind of interesting that he was getting kind of every place he would go and be like, well, I drink or, well, well I, I, I live with my girlfriend or, well, you know, I like to gamble. Um, and what would happen is people would start listing their sins and the things that they didn't want to let go of. Um, and that's what was preventing them from coming to the Lord. And I think that this is a big deal because, um, you know, people need help. People need to get right. People uh, want a better way. People desire a better way. They want to live in God's will. They w- and it, it's built inside of us. Um, but what happens is we we live in a lie and we believe the lie for so long that we become conditioned to the lie and that, you know, it, it kind of just takes hold of us as like a stronghold. And I think in this Torah portion, this was leprosy or uncleanliness. It was visible. The issue was visible. And now we're dealing with a leprosy that's internal and others may not be able to see it. So we can kind of hide it longer. Um, But with the issue of uncleanliness is it had had to be taken care of immediately, right? Things had to be done. Measures had to be taken. And then you had to get more than one confirmation that you were now clean. Now, imagine if if our sin were to be like a, a, a leprosy on our skin and that it was visible to other people. And that we couldn't hide it the way that we we're able to now. Um, it it would definitely change things because we would go and get the help that we need because of that visible sign instead of trying to hide it. So, anyways, wow, man, what a privilege it was to have my wife do the podcast with me today. Man, you know what it is? She's just so darn pretty. I got my pages all mixed up and backwards. I mean, he did say that he was off because he didn't have Pastor Nick and he was on his own. He said that right here in front of me and we're in the same room. Oh, well, there you go. See, see what I mean? It's not forgiveness. I'll forgive. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. So, um, thank you guys for listening. Wow. This is these tour portions, man. I'll tell you what, you know, when, uh, 
you know, when you come into these tour portions and you're thinking, hey, I'm gonna have to teach on, you know, Mitzorah and Tazria, that uh, you're like, man, you know, discharges and skin diseases, there's not going to be a lot of content and topics to talk about. Well, let me just tell you, there's plenty to talk about. and There's plenty more that we could have gone through today um, if we had time. Um, but, um, you know, I hope you guys are staying safe out there. For those of you in the Beit Tehillah community here locally, we miss you. We love you. We wish that uh, we could be with you right now. Uh, obviously, we're all doing things uh, from a, a self-quarantined basis, you know, kind of stay-at-home order here in Hillsborough County where actually everything's uh, shut down by the county and by the state that, um, you know, they even were instituting a curfew and all kinds of stuff. So um, we just hope you guys uh, are out there and, and um, want to bless you. Uh, we want you to know that that we're thinking about you, that we love you. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, my email address is Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at twopraise.net. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to pray for you. If you have anything going on that you want prayer for, please email me, um, and we'll pray for you. And uh, if anything that you need to get to Pastor Nick, um, you know, email me, and I'll make sure that he gets it. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, our services are still live streaming on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The best place for me is we watch it on our, our TV because we have a Roku and we're able to put it up on the YouTube and we could see it live on the TV screen. And then our family were able to dance in the living room and enjoy, um, you know, the service and, and go from there and feel like we almost almost like we're there without being there. So and uh, if you guys. Um, like I said, have any questions, you need anything, call us um, at the office at 813-654-2222. Email me, ryan at Uh Bless you guys. Have a great week.